This show is brought to you by its patrons. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash the Phileas Club and become one of the many who make this show possible. Thank you so much to those who already do. Hey everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode 131. We're in September 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phileas Club. In this show, what we do is that we get people from different parts of the world. We get together and we talk about what's been happening in the world and uh, hopefully get some different opinions and takes on all of the events, sometimes important, sometimes a little bit more trivial. But uh, hopefully you get something out of it and, and manage to get out of your usual uh, intellectual hangouts is the way I'm putting it today. My name is Patrick Beja, and I'm very happy to be welcoming back to the show on one hand, on the uh, Atlantic hand, uh, Tony, who is from the US. How's it going, Tony? It's going very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for waking up early once again for being on the show. It's 7 a.m. for you, uh, 2 p.m. for me. So I'm all fine and dandy. Uh, I, I hope you're awake. I have my coffee. Uh, I am ready to go. I, I didn't really get up early. Uh, I just have to readjust my schedule a little bit on these days. And and you said we might hear your kids come and, and say hello at some point during the show. Uh, so I'm, I'll be looking forward to that if it happens. Well, it, it already did during the, uh, the, the pre-show chat. Uh, at least one of them came in and gave me a silent hug. And the other one, uh, I already gave him a hug before they head off to school today. Okay. Well, okay. Well, then we won't be able to give it to them live on the show. But uh, I'll task you with uh, giving them maybe not a hug because that would be weird, but a, a strong hello from the weird Frenchman you talk to on the Skype uh, occasionally. Uh, <laughs> Luis, you are from Portugal and you are joining us again after a, a, a little while. How's it going? Hello, uh, it's going well. For me, it's uh, midday, so I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah same with me. Um, and I guess for you, it's like it's still full on summer, super hot in, in the southern parts of Europe. So you're staying indoors in the shade, right? Uh, no, not really, actually. Um, Europe was affected by a heatwave this summer, but Portugal was mostly out of it. So, in fact, I've been having pretty bad weather where I oh. live. <laughs> <laughs> We're still waiting for the summer. Okay, uh, hopefully it will come from... Because in Finland right now, it's like 23 degrees, which which is... Uh, I don't know how much it is in Fahrenheit, but uh, it's... For people who know centigrades, they would laugh at a 23 degrees temperature as being mild. But here, everyone's melting and it's like, oh, my God, the summer is still going. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so I was complaining about the not the summer not having arrived yet because it's yeah mid 20s it's not in the 30s so. <laughs> yeah there, there you go uh, 23 degrees Celsius uh, in Fahrenheit. Uh, Google tells me it is 73 Fahrenheit. That's not too bad. I really appreciate you saying that, Patrick, because I had no idea 
how I know. warm, hot, or cold that was. Um, but 73 is very, yeah, yeah, that would be very mild for me. We, we keep our house warmer than that. Typically. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to me, like uh, yesterday, we went to uh, the beach with my wife just for a walk, and, and it was like 21 or 22. And, you know, I come from the Middle, the middle East. I I'm originally from the Mediterranean. And I, I live in like 30, 35 degrees. It's fine. And 23, your body adapts, man. It's like 23 was so warm yesterday. I was, it was crazy. So, um, yeah, people can adapt. I was going to say change, but uh, can adapt. Um, so we're going to be talking about a bunch of things. I want to talk about the G7 summit. Uh, we're going to discuss a number of different uh, topics, maybe even touch on Brexit very quickly, but we don't have Brits on the show. We'll do something with, uh, uh, you know, ab around Brexit at some point uh, later in the fall. But before we do that, I figured we could uh, tell each other about how the summer went, mostly as an excuse to for me to uh, update everyone on uh, the on how things are going with my son um, because things are evolving and it's interesting. But um, Tony, how has your summer been? How do people in uh, the Eastern U.S. spend summers? And of course, remember you speak for everyone in the uh, U.S. at the moment. So, how's the American summer? Well, it's been it's been really good. Um, so it's it's timely that you're asking this, and I'm speaking about this because, like I said, my kids are going off to school. They've been in school for just under a week. They've been back to school for just under a week, and um, they were really excited. My wife, who stays at home with the kids for the most part, or she works a part time job. She was very excited for school to start back up. <laughs> oh, uh, I know. <laughs> I can't imagine three kids. 10, 7, and 3 in the house with her. That can get uh, to be a handful. But we did some pretty, uh, I would consider it, typical stuff for Americans, especially in this area. We went to one of the most popular tourist locations and in, in, for people that live in this part of the country, which is a, uh, a beach called Myrtle Beach. It's in South Carolina. It's about nine hours from where I live, and we, we drive that. Um, that's so and funny. Americans, it, when they talk distances, it's like now nine hours. It's a reasonable drive for us. You would like <laughs> cross the, the the EU entirely, <laughs> almost. Right, and, and that's that's like that's definitely not a, a big chunk of the country. I, we go through. Let's see. We start in Ohio. We go through West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. We go through five states to get there. Um, it was fun, and but you know the the biggest thing for summer at this house is baseball. Uh, my two boys both played baseball. They both played on the same team. Uh, my older one improved as he does every year, and my younger one got his first ever base hit. So we were real proud of that. We we follow baseball every game as long as they don't do something ridiculously bad or have bad attitudes. We follow every game with ice cream. So. Uh, that that's a summer baseball tradition for a lot wait, of people. Wait, wait, sorry. Especially, do you mean your kids or the players have bad attitude? So the we the kids were playing baseball. So my kids. Oh right, right, right. You follow attitudes. those. Oh, okay. Sorry. Right. So yeah. your kids having bad attitudes. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Um. Now. Now. 
I'll, I'll kind of lump the whole team as a group as far as attitudes and performance goes sometimes because I am the the head coach. <laughs> oh, so, nice. Um, It doesn't get more American than that. The, the fa <laughs> father of three playing baseball uh, with the kids and being the head coach. I'm, I feel like I'm watching some, I don't know, John Hughes movie or something. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty, pretty stereotypical, I guess. Um, but uh, one thing that's interesting and uh, applies to me today that we did this summer is we've got a, uh, we've got a, four bedroom house uh our our smallest bedroom has always been an office that's where i've sat when we've done this show well my two boys shared a room until this summer and uh, -huh. uh we we decided to split them up they were fighting and in each other's throats constantly so we decided to split them up and they're much happier now but i lost my spot so i'm actually laying in my bed doing this show it's yeah. not very professional but it's <laughs> it's one of the only places i have in the house that has decent lte signal for me to uh not glitch out a bunch on you guys so that's Wait, something are, else that happened you, this summer are you lying <laughs> down currently doing the show I am. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. That I feel like I'm some kind of a meditation guru. I'm relaxing you in your in your bed. Excellent. Oh, Patrick, uh, you never relax me. You always stress <laughs> me out, but we'll be all right. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Luis, you were saying like summer is super boring. Um, as a uh, very a person who's very into stereotypes and uh, seeing things in the most uh, ob obnoxious way, obviously it's because uh, it's hot in the summer and people don't work and stop doing everything in the southern southern parts of of the EU. Right? It was boring because nothing happened and everyone was doing siestas all the time. Well, uh, I'm from Portugal, not Spain. So if you want to get stereotypical, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's the no. same. It's the same. That's part of the offensiveness. <laughs> Portugal and Spain are basically essentially one country, right? No. Okay. I've got to stop there. Well, Go ahead. Uh, for me, yes. But I don't think most uh, Spanish or Portuguese people would uh, agree on that. Uh -huh. But yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's boring. It, it's not boring, but uh, it's summer. Yeah. Uh, most of people, I'm, I was working. Uh, most of the summer, but uh, most people are on vacation, so it's it's a very relaxed time. Mm. And uh, basically, the biggest uh, decisions I had to make was like uh, uh, watching um, the surf conditions to see if I could catch some some waves at the end of the day. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that was about it. So I don't have kids, unlike you guys. So my days are mellower. <laughs> yeah. When I get home, it's actually relaxing. <laughs> Maybe I'm missing. I'm missing probably a lot of other stuff, but. Uh... Oh, it sounds pretty good. It sounds like a summer I would have had a few years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, talking about kids on on my end of uh, the world, I guess it was it was great because I've talked on this show about how difficult it has been with the baby uh, a few times, and and the fact that people don't actually tell you how horrible uh, infants are and how difficult it is to care for them, especially if, you know, there are, every kid is different, as people like to say, and some are easier than others, and ours were, was on the more difficult end. 
And we often joke with my wife that we're not made to be parents. And uh, that added to the fact that he was a little bit uh, difficult to um, deal with, made for a very miserable experience for a, a, a few months, a good amount of months. And uh, it's gotten better and better and better. And now for the past couple of months, I would say, uh, midway through the summer, I realized that he had gotten really... Uh, uh, easy to deal with and we're always like on uh, staggered with my wife he it gets easier for her like a few months before it gets I, she's always a few months in advance and it was a lot easier for her uh, a few months uh, ago already and for me in the summer when he was away from daycare he was here for a month uh, here he was staying home all day for a month uh, or so and and in the middle of that, I realized, you know, he's starting to talk. Uh, he's a year and a half old now, and he's starting to talk more and more. He's repeating words and he's communicating and understanding and a lot more autonomous. And we can interact and I can tell him to do stuff and he tells me what he wants to do. And it's gotten honestly so fun. Like, I don't want to jinx it. I'm touching wood. I'm I'm crossing all my, like, uh, uh, my fingers, um, but it's gotten so fun, and I'm—I never would have thought a year ago that it would get to that level of uh, fun and easiness. And like, I—I I melt every time he says anything, and like he—he he dances. He, my brother is a musician and he actually made the music for all of my shows and he made a little song with his daughters um, for uh, my son and uh, my son asks for it all the time and then he dances like he he shakes his butt and and dances around and and he's so cute and always smiling and always happy and uh, it's it's gotten so much better it's like I, I, I feel like I should express it to the audience because I was so much in in despair <laughs> in the first few months. And uh, of course, you know, things come and go and sometimes he's less easy and I'm sure at some point it will, you know, get uh, less easy again. But at the moment, for the past few weeks, it's been a real pleasure and a real joy. Like I feel like uh, the people who have kids who are happy about having kids are living this kind of life. So I'm, I'm, it's going really well in that respect. Um, I'm, I'm guessing, Tony, you know what I'm talking about with three kids. You've gone through the iterations of parenthood. Oh, uh, oh yeah. It, it's, it's got its, its fun times and not so fun times. I will say you, I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of a feeling of betrayal in you because you said no one warned you how horrible infants uh -huh. can be. So I'm not going to betray you, Patrick. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. You've heard <laughs> of the terrible twos, right? Yes, I have. Okay, those are nothing compared to three. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> really? Threes are, all three of mine have been bears at three. Twos have been the calm before the storm. So <laughs> I don't know. So wait, what happens at three? What, what happens they, at three? They just get attitude and independence comes rebelliousness and it, it uh, they start screaming uh, like in anger and things like that so it threes are rough okay <laughs> how long does it last then uh for most for all three of mine it seemed like it went for probably about six months uh, uh okay. and, and i think that's going to depend on 
how how you approach it and how you uh, mm. react to it. But about six months of really rough times during their age three. Okay. Um, well, I mean, the, the, the French uh, education way is supposedly making the terrible twos a lot easier. Like we don't have as many tantrums and we don't have as many, uh, uh, as much of a hard time during the, the terrible twos. So I'm going to choose to believe that and hope that it actually applies to more than just the terrible twos. First of all, that it is real, that the terrible twos don't really happen if you you do it the way the French... Listen, French people don't do many things super well. Food, wine, and apparently the, the, the children. Uh, so I'm going to choose to believe that we have it down on that end and that I'm, we're not going to go back to the horribleness of the first few months. But if it does, uh, I'll give you credit, Tony. You you did you will have warned me. Um, I just hope that you are horribly wrong. Uh, maybe more than I have on any topic, inclu including world-ending <laughs> political topics in the past. Well, see, now I'm curious, and this might be a discussion for another time. But I'm really curious what you do differently to address the terrible twos than what we might do or what any other country might do. So I, I'd recommend, I'll give you the short version, but I'd recommend a book called uh, Bringing Up Bebe, which is a book wrote, written by uh, Pamela Druckerman. She's an American author who went to live in France um, a few years ago, and she had a, a baby, and she's had more since. And she was very surprised by the differences between the way American uh, Americans raise their kids and the way French people raise their kids. And she chronicles that in her book. It's super funny super well written even if you don't have kids i recommended it everywhere i think but i really recommend reading it if you have kids of course even if they're grown up it's it might be interesting and even if you don't because it's a fun interesting book uh but so she describes a lot of what happens there but essentially um what we do and it you might think well this is what we do as well but um there's what we call a cadre which is essentially a frame where the kids have limits, like this is what you do and this is what you don't do. And inside that cadre, they have more freedom than they might have otherwise, but the, the limits are very clear. And so it gives a lot of structure in a way that is apparently, I don't know exactly how it works in, in other countries, but in a way that is more defined than uh, other cultural traditions do. And um, what's what I know for sure, I don't know yet how it goes for, you know, the terrible tooth for my kid and stuff like that. But what I know for sure is that in general, the image that people have about uh, toddlers and um, young children in America and in other countries, it's the case in Finland as well. The, the kids are crazy. We don't, I never saw that in France. Like the tantrums especially are something that I never saw ever in France. Well, maybe that's pushing it a little bit, but it is definitely a lot uh, less present in France than um, in other countries. And they're, in general, I feel um, a bit more well-behaved. And I don't have a ton of experience. I might be generalizing, but certainly the kids I've seen in Finland were not well-behaved. Um, and, and in France, it was, they were a lot easier, more, uh, they would listen to what the parents would say and stuff like that. So I have to think that there's something behind all of that. And that idea of that framework uh, seems to be the main component of it. But it's not the only one, of course. But um, yeah, so I don't know if that 
as a as a proud father, I have to say, uh, even the the issues that we've had during the twos and the threes, um, nearly ninety nine percent of those have been in our home. When we go out in public, ah. which is where you see all these like in the movies and you see the the commercials and things like that. When we're in public, our kids are very well behaved. They've ah, they've I really see. never thrown a tantrum in public. So. Uh, I like to think we're doing something sort of right with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if uh, if I'm I'm on the right track with that. And and you know, of course, it has to do with the nature of the kids. I'm sure maybe we we got the one the model where the first few months were difficult, but then it got easier, and uh, then maybe it will all go to crap. But uh, I'll keep everyone informed, of course, on how it goes and whether or not I can uh, grandstand with my French education system you know, uh, uh, putting it over the head of everyone else. But um, we'll see. Maybe it will be the same as you, Tony, and he will be impossible in the house and then put a gray face on when we're outside. Um, all right. So anyway, at the moment, let's not to talk about a potentially horrible future. At the moment, he is adorable to a point that, oh my God, when he starts dancing, it's so cute. And... You know, I and I know that everyone thinks their baby is the cutest baby in the world, but again, um, as I've said a few times before, mine really is. Uh, all right, let's talk about what's been happening in the world. Um, I want to mention the Brexit thing very briefly. Um, obviously, it's been making the news everywhere in well i mean in france and every uh, publication um the the request that uh, boris johnson put to the queen request it's for it's formally a request but uh in practice she just accepts it to suspend parliament for a month uh in order to prevent parliamentaries from doing work that could prevent the no deal brexit if it actually happens towards the end of uh, october which most people seem to be up in arms because it kind of um it, it is technically democratic but it it puts democracy it holds democracy hostage kind of and um i i understand that a lot of pro brexit people are saying well you know whatever this is what we need to do to actually implement the will of the people from that referendum but i would argue sure you could do that but it's no more democratic than making a new vote, which some people say would not be democratic. If that is acceptable, then a new vote should be acceptable as well. But anyway, that's my uh, perspective on it. I wonder, Luis, have, have it, has it been reported uh, in Portugal? I'm guessing yes, but... Um... Oh, yeah, sure. Brexit okay. uh, is important here. H how pro-EU is Portugal in general? I think it's very pro-EU. I mean, it's like any other EU country. Sometimes there are some disadvantages, and there's a tendency to to blame certain regulations and and certain taxes on the EU. But generally, uh, we know that we benefit a lot from being there. So yeah. I think it's positive. And we, most Portuguese, I think, like most Europeans, don't really understand why the UK wants to leave. <laughs> and I think we would prefer that the UK stayed in the EU, but no. Yeah. They don't, I don't think they really know what they want. But uh, Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Or I guess some people want one thing and others want the other thing. Yes, but it seems very divided. It doesn't seem like uh, there is enough consensus to make a decision either way. 
And the frustrating thing with that suspension of parliament is that it essentially suspends the discussions, uh, which should be part of the process, and which, by the way, those difficult discussions are what led Johnson to take the seat of PM. And now that he's there, he's kind of saying, nope, that's it, we're done, that's how we're doing it. And I understand at some point you need strength to implement something, but that doesn't seem like the right way to do it. I'm sure pro-Brexit people would have another opinion there. Uh, Tony, have you heard about this? It's very recent. It was like two days ago, but uh, has he been making the news? I haven't seen it. Um, of course, you know, it's different ways of uh, obtaining news. I don't watch uh, evening news on, you know, NBC, CBS, things like that. But uh, I haven't seen it. The Brexit conversation kind of ebbs and flows. You know, I figure once uh, the the date comes around, it'll be a big topic again. But right now, leading up to it, I haven't seen much about it. Mm, okay. I'm, I'm wondering if you will. I think at some point it will. It's very, again, the Queen has accepted, I think, yesterday, as she was forced to. Like, that's protocol. Um but I'm guessing you might hear about it because it's kind of big in that process and it, it might determine the outcome. Um, but aside from that, the, the biggest topic in the recent couple of weeks has been uh, the G7 summit, which was which happened in, in France. And the next one next year is going to happen in the U.S. And going in, what was striking is that a lot of people, most people's assessment assessment of the way it was going to go before it happened was, well, we don't expect much from that. The, the big topic is probably the Amazon uh, fires, which I'm sure you've all heard about and have seen discussed, um, and what the G7 can do to address that, and a couple of others. And afterwards, um, people were, and publications were pleasantly surprised by the outcome uh, and in a, in a very rare uh, display of, um, I don't want to say unity, but agreement, uh, most publications, no matter the, the, the political leanings, were saying, well, it seems Macron, the French president, played this one kind of right. Um, one element which was interesting and that many listeners might have heard about uh, is the uh, tax on big internet companies, most, most of which are American, of course. And uh, there's a new tax that was created a few months ago. And President Trump was, uh, in one of his uh, angry tweet series, was um, attacking that tax and threatening retaliation and a number of things like that, which, of course, him being the president, kind of uh, got people a little bit, um, uh, not scared, but concerned. And after the summit, uh, because of a number of uh, logistical and um, uh, uh, negotiation maneuvering, uh, the tax has been accepted by Trump and other uh, members of G7. It, that was mostly Trump and Macron, but the point is it will be negotiated, the principle of that tax will be ne negotiated on the OECD level, which is, of course, much larger than just uh, France. And once that is agreed upon and that new tax is kind of expanded, um, it will be, uh, you know, compensated, the, the whatever they're paying now will be compensated to fit with the next tax. But the principle of the tax is accepted. And Trump accepted it 
and sort of was put in a position where uh, uh, things were smoothed over, which was reported um, a little bit as one of the main concerns, of course, at the G7 was the rise of uh, nationalism and a lot of countries participating in the G7 were are currently um, uh, in large disputes over pro-international uh, relations or pro-national uh, focus on national uh, interests. And the, the, the discussions happened because there was clever... Uh, um, Diplomacy. Essentially, it said it 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 went in saying diplomacy is no use in these situations and diplomacy is dying. And the real master stroke of uh, Macron and the G7, the way they were held, was beyond the fact that there was not one unifying declaration at the end of the G7, which no one would have agreed on. Um, the bilateral talks, multiple bilateral talks, um, were somewhat fruitful and diplomacy showed that it is important and it can work even in this context. So I think that was a, a rare instance of hopefulness is maybe a little bit strong, but positivity in those, you know, big supranational instances uh, that often these days have become uh, a little bit disappointing. So um, that was the way it was reported on. And again, quite uniformly so, even for, for um, publications that are anti, that, that don't usually uh, agree with the policies of Macron. So that was surprising and I think kind of a, a, a good thing to see in that uh, world of ours. Uh, Luis, have you heard anything about the G7? Uh well, uh, a lot less than you. It's reported. <laughs> well, but, it was uh, in France, so fair enough. We we like to look at ourselves as everyone does. Yeah, but even here, uh, I think uh, they talked about uh, more about Macron. So oh, really? Had... Okay. <laughs> in what in what way? P uh, positive or negative? Or uh, positive. I mean, he, he gave the impression that he achieved something. So at least <laughs> that at least I can get. And uh, I think. Uh, the before the days before it was more like um well look at what Trump, what what uh, trump said it was a is a, a how can i say is a it, it tends to do declarations that are controversial and he makes them often so it kind of derail the the attention because uh, it would be instead of what is the being discussed in the seven it's more like oh have you seen what trump said it's, mm. Right, right. I think that was the 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 kind of uh, context going in from here, even uh, as well. But and there was also an expectation, although they it's not uh, a part of those countries that did at least to see um, a more amenable uh, Donald Trump in relation to Europe, because besides the the tariff war with uh, China, uh, there is also have been, it has also. <laughs> Uh, there also have been taxes on the tariffs on the um, European countries and uh, things with the US hasn't been very smooth. So there was the expectation that the G7 would work on that. Mm. And you mean work on that, try to smooth things over yeah, there? Try to smooth, no, yes, try to smooth things between the US and Europe, at mm. least the main European leaders, because, um, well, it's just three, but there it's the big economy. So... Yeah. They have... yeah. 
I'm not sure they have uh, uh, had very big discussions there. Uh, they might have, but I haven't seen them. The other one was uh, uh, political maneuvering with uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil, of course, uh, which seemed to have borne fruit now, what we're hearing in the past few days. But the Amazon burning has been, of course, the, the most uh, reported on topic and the causes and how to fix it and the issues there, which I'm not going to go into because that would be a, no, a whole separate conversation. But um, uh, Tony, what about you? G7, of course, uh, you knew all about it, uh, covered it every day. Uh, tell me. I, I did. I had a Twitter feed dedicated. No, I did not. But <laughs> I did hear some stuff. Uh, now, the the thing that really struck out stuck out to me was uh, the obvious nonsense, in my opinion, that Trump was tweeting about, uh, if you recall his tweet thread, that the leaders at the G7 were asking him, why does the me American media hate our country so much? Uh Obviously, that was getting responded to with uh, and things. I'll take things that didn't happen for 500 Alex and that meme and so on. So I don't believe that those words were actually used. So that was uh, a typical Trump thing. Um, the other thing that I saw about it was and, and uh, you didn't touch on this. Macron uh, inviting Iranian leadership to yes. the summit. And I, I don't know what ended up resolving from that. So I, I would be interested in your take on that. Yeah, that was that was also another one of those diplomatic, uh, maybe master, master strokes is, is a strong word, but a, a risky move that ended up paying uh, off. That was, um, I can't remember who, who it was exactly, a minister from Iran invited, basically without telling anyone, and putting Trump in front of the fact that he was there and having starting talks, basically forcing uh, talks to start again. And that hasn't happened yet. But what did happen was that Trump didn't say anything about it, kind of maybe taking the opportunity to de-escalate the conflict between the US and I Iran and restart conversations. And I think, again, this is another example of... Um, diplomacy working where uh, bravado doesn't um, and and sort of backing yourself into a corner and then if you you manage to do things in a little bit slightly more subtle way um, you can get out unstuck from situations that you you might have been stuck in uh, and that was also another part of the there were four topics i can't remember which one which the fourth one was but the tax on internet businesses the amazon and the iran um uh uh, uh the iran crisis being worked on uh, and all of those with the uh color of this is what happens when serious people are in uh the 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 rooms and have serious it's it's almost maybe i i'm seeing what i want to see in there but it's like this is why politics are important and it's not just people unlike the popular image we have in many countries and even in france you know it's not just people thinking about you know taking the most advantage possible of their position it's actual people doing important and difficult jobs that need to be done um so yeah that's that was part of it for sure 
and I'm going to ask a, another question from from the reporting aspect on your side. Uh, you know, you're talking about Macron making these these good moves. Um, do you feel that that's exactly how it was reported? Macron made these masterstroke moves, or did anyone say? Because it sounds like this is what you're saying: Trump didn't throw a fit. <laughs> and is anyone saying that? Because you know, on one level, that's that's to be expected of a world leader, and that's how it should happen. However, if Trump did throw a fit, that would be the headlines, at least here. Right. So the headlines would be Trump throws fit. But since he didn't, the headline is not Trump based, at least here. Is that how it's being talked about there? Is, is Trump getting even a little bit of credit for doing what he should do, I guess, is what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, I think I think to an extent uh, the two are, are linked. Of course, you know, it's our president. So we're and I want to stress again. The press is usually very, well, not very divided in the American sense, but the opinions about what happens, the interpretations are different, even though they're, you know, polite and sometimes even collected. This, it's very rare that everyone agrees, okay, that, that wasn't too bad. Uh, and so that aspect is not every piece of media being waiting for the orders from, you know, the, the administration to know what to say. It's very much them apparently agreeing on what actually happened, even though they, they all have their own uh, uh, opinions. The, the Trump part is certainly part of it. And the way we think it, no one knows what happens in Trump's head, right? We, we, we can't know. But I think the, the, the subtext is, uh, it seems that Macron was subtle enough and, um, and arranged things well enough in part, having no common declaration, uh, saying from the get-go, we're not going to have one common declaration because he knew that would not that would lead to conflict, um, and it couldn't happen in the current situation. Which was it was disappointing that there wouldn't be a common declaration to go to begin with, but in the end, it it helped massage all the relationships and all the egos uh, so that it. Uh, made it into a situation where it was possible that Trump wouldn't throw a fit, right? And I think when you see how many fits he throws per day and how unpredictable he is, the fact that he didn't is, of course, partly because of himself, but maybe also because of what happened around him and, and the conditions were created that it was maybe more disadvantageous for him to throw a fit than to throw one. So I think that's how I'm interpreting a little bit now, but I think that's how I understand it from everything I've seen and heard. Does that make sense, Tony? It does. I, I like to think, because I'm a crazy optimist sometimes, that he's growing up, but I'm sure that tomorrow <laughs> he'll say something ridiculous. So we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, even in the reports and talking about Trump, everyone was saying, well, you know, it was good until now. Who knows what will happen tomorrow? We fully not expect, but we fully understand that he might throw a fit about the G7 agreements, uh, you know, tomorrow. So it's not like we're saying, yes, we down, we, we, we uh, managed to tame the crazy beast and now he will be reasonable forever. Obviously, that's not what is being said. It's just one successful uh, point in time. Um, and whether or not he's growing up, I don't know. I mean, when you look at his Twitter feed, it doesn't seem like he's changed much, but maybe.
Um, all right, so that was the G7. Um, let's go to Tony. And I do want to ask, before you talk about sports, um, which I'm really looking forward to hearing about, um, I do want to ask about the, the, the events of the summer and the mass murder um, uh, the mass murder is happening with that um, nationalist and uh, white nationalist, white supremacist uh, color to it. Uh, you know, the, the messaging was very much those uh, murderers doing it because of that uh, uh, ideology uh, that and the um, it's essentially racism and it, for me, and I think for many people, it's clear that even if you want to say that the current um, xenophobic discourse in America and in other parts of the world, I'm not saying that it's not happening elsewhere, certainly it is, um, including in Europe, many European countries, uh, and those people getting in power through that rhetoric, it's very difficult for us to dissociate the relationship between the two. And people have been talking about it for a while, um, but now it's not the first time. Many times it has happened in the U.S. Uh, and mass shootings have happened in the U.S. where the perpetrators were saying, you know, even mentioning Trump by name. And of course, it's not like Trump went out and said, you should go and kill people. Uh, I think everyone understands that. But I wonder how someone who... I don't want to say you support Trump because I don't think that would be quite a fair characterization. You, 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 um, well, I, you, you vote for him for personal reasons. Um, I would say I support him as the president okay. and he does have, uh, policies that I agree with. However, my support isn't 100%. I don't support everything he says that that's probably a more an accurate statement. Okay, um, thanks for the clarification. But talking specifically about, uh, I, I guess you would agree, he certainly puts a heavy um, uh, uh, focus on immigration and talks about it in a way that is extremely inflammatory. And the, the idea that there's an invasion and that, you know, the shit countries and all of that, it, it seems to me pretty clear that that leads to... Um, the, the, whether or not he's actually racist or concerned about the culture of his country and the identity of the country, I think could be up for debate. I would have an opinion about that, but we're not going to solve that issue today. What I want to ask you about is that kind of rhetoric does create... It, it's, at the very least, I think, irresponsible because it emboldens those kinds of people. And that argument has been made before, but I think it's a lot more... Uh, um, defensible as an argument. It, it holds more ground now that we've seen multiple times um, mass shootings with perpetrators invoking that these kinds of ideas as their motivations. Now, of course, you know, they're crazy people and crazy people do crazy things, but I think it's a little bit easy to separate the two that broadly and say, no, you know, it has nothing to do with it. So that's the way I approach it. I wonder how you, uh, from the other side of the great American divide, uh, approach that specific question? Sure. Um, I, I want to start by just making a clarification, just because you used a couple of different words, and I want to make sure that the details are there, because I don't know if it's coming, if it's getting garbled through the, the trip over the Atlantic or, or mm -hmm. what, but we've had three uh, major 
uh, mass shootings in the last, I don't know, uh, few months. Uh, the two are probably the ones you're referring to. One of those was perpetrated by a white supremacist. The other one was not. So um, just want to make sure because you said mass shootings and right, I wanted yes. to make sure that that was clear. Um, both of them were not were not the Dayton one was not per perpetrated by a white supremacist. The third one kind of came and went very quickly because it turned out it wasn't a, a true uh, mass shooting in in the the typical sense. It was it was actually a, a police raid gone bad. I don't know if you were referring to that one as well. No, I that one that I don't one... think I've heard about as much. Okay, well that's because it wasn't uh, a narrative fitting mass shooting. It was a, a police raid that went south and the. Uh, uh, criminal that they were trying to uh, arrest fought back. But okay. uh, now for the one in, um, where was that one? The one by the white supremacist, uh, mm -hmm. uh, El Paso, I believe. Um, I do agree with you. Um, I agree that the rhetoric, the anti-immigration rhetoric is irresponsible. I agree that it can embolden people that already have that mindset. Um, so I think we're on the same page there. I, I also don't believe that the, peop the, the people with that mindset, though, that they are, I don't believe they are just going out and doing these things because of that rhetoric. And, and you said that, it, it, they're gonna do crazy things anyway. I think the important word is it emboldens them. It, in their minds, it gives them ammunition to do this. Maybe that's a, a poor choice of words, but in, in their minds, it emboldens them. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I agree with you when you said, I don't think, you don't think Trump wants them to do that. I, I absolutely don't think that he wants them to do that. And I don't think that he cares for that subset of people, which is still very, very small. They're making the most noise because they're doing the most damage. But white supremacy is a very, very small percentage of the population. Um, it always has been. It's louder now because of the Internet, which allows them to band together and talk to people that share their views. You know, it used before and not to blame the internet, but it, it really is a thing. Before that, it was the kooky people in the town that no one wanted to associate with. Mm. Now they can find these places on the internet where they can share their views with other like-minded individuals, and it creates a boldness in them to go out and be loud. Right. So, um, but I 100% I agree that the rhetoric is irresponsible. Um, I wish he wouldn't say all the things he says, I think he can get the point that he's trying to make across without using the ugly words that he uses, because I don't think the root level point that he's trying to make is necessarily wrong. I believe that legal immigration is a good thing for the United States. I believe that there's a process for that, and I believe that illegal immigration is not good. Um, but like, like I just said, he can make that point without using the ugly words that he uses. Mm. So I think 
for the most part, and you may have some retorts for me, but I believe for the most part we're on the same page. No, I think yeah. I'm. I'm honestly, I didn't think we were going to be as much uh, on the same page as as we are. Um, but yeah, I think we're mostly on the same page. Um, the the we could argue endlessly about the 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 realities of illegal immigration, but that would be a different topic altogether. Um, I think what we can uh, agree on is kind of the the famous spider-man line with great power comes great responsibility and obviously trump and many other politicians like him have great responsibility and when you misuse that responsibility even just in words it does have consequences so if what they're doing is is irresponsible in that sense we all wish they wouldn't do that so i think yeah if we agree on that we're pretty much on the same page and Luis, I saw that Luis was unmuted, so he may have something to add before I continue. Go ahead. Um, I just think that you said that uh, the way it chooses this message is not the best. and But I think that's the point. It chooses that message. You could say uh, that uh, it could talk about immigration in another completely different way, but it chooses to use the most... Uh, Inflammatory. The rhetoric possible. Yeah, inflammatory rhetoric. When you see a manifest from a white supremacist and you see Trump rhetoric and, you know, it, there are parallels there, it's it's difficult not to be at least very, very disappointed. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I, I think, though, with with Trump, a lot of the issue is we attribute to him evil or malice where there should be um what's the right word uh incompetence <laughs> i hate to say that he is the president of the united states but um yeah I that's think the thing at some point at some point the incompetence becomes your responsibility you know you, you're held accountable when you're the president even for your incompetence right like that's right yeah and, um, and i am you know, I, I'm, I'm, I can't hold him accountable except for with a vote. But well, that's how uh, it I works. Am yeah, him accountable <laughs> right now. Mm. Um, and but I think there's there's two reasons why he says the things he does. One of them is his mouth or fingers move before his. I don't even think he takes the time for his brain to catch up. He just mm. says what is right there at the tip of mm. his tongue. It just comes out. But the other one is. His base is anti-immigration. Now, I don't believe in my heart that his base is white supremacist. I don't believe that his base, like I said, those ugly words. I don't believe that his base wants those ugly words, but his base is anti-illegal immigration. So that's why he says those things, because he does pander to his base a lot. And I think that's what's happening, at least on some level there. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with Luis, though, that the, the, the fact that he chooses those specific words, whether or not it's cleverly crafted to touch whatever kind of part of the base he wants to, to reach, he still chooses the words. And so it's not like, oh, he says whatever, you know, it's not really th thought through. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but he still makes the conscious choice of choosing those words. So maybe... While I agree with you that, you know, we wish he wouldn't use them, 
he consciously does. So I think that kind of uh, um, uh, uh, orients the judgment of them a little bit further. But um, Maybe right. I should give him more credit. I, I don't feel like he really consciously thinks through his words that yeah, much. Maybe. And I don't see, Patrick, how you have any uh, place to be arguing with him. He has the best words. You don't. He does. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear indeed. All right, talk to us about sports. It's it's sports bowl seasons. You're an American. You you're like in the heartland. No, you're not, but you are playing sports. What's happening in the US? So so I am in uh, Ohio and for those that don't know, uh, Ohio is home of the best football program known to man, the Ohio State Buckeyes. There would be a couple of people who might disagree with that, but they would be wrong. <laughs> uh, but so football season is coming. Uh, college football starting up, which is I pay a little more attention to college football than I do pro football. But pro football is what I really want to touch on. And and when I say football, I understand that most of your audience thinks that I'm going to be talking about a sport with a round ball with black and white <laughs> spots on it. Oh, I think uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I, I think it's the opposite, actually. <laughs> really? Okay, okay. Well, yeah, we, we, we know do. it's what you mean by football. We, well, uh, do we cover we football, but you know, you know, you, you know, we know the difference between soccer and football. We, in we know world. you're talking about the wrong football, the, the, yes, the one that is not actually football. Right, right. Okay. That's right. I understand <laughs> that. I, in fact, uh, I don't know if you know this about me. I played, I, well, I'll call it soccer. I played soccer in high school. So I think um, you mentioned I, it, yeah. I did not play uh, American football. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so a, a high-profile quarterback uh, by the name of Andrew Luck uh, retired this year uh, unexpectedly. Uh, he decided that he had had enough of the, the violence of the game. Uh, rehabbing from injuries was more than his body could handle, and he um, had been injured quite a few times over the course of his career. And he's a He's a very good quarterback, and the injury held him back. I believe it was last year or the year before he ended up winning the uh, Comeback Player of the Year for the NFL. But he retired, and there's a lot of people who are horrible that are criticizing him. I shouldn't say they're horrible. That's that's mean. They, I feel that they're saying things. They're judging him unfairly. Uh, they're criticizing him for retiring uh, because he wants to be able to walk when he's 70, and he wants to be able to think clearly when he's 60. Uh, and it spotlighting the violence of American football. And, and I am seeing a shift uh, away from American football in, in, in my area. Uh, and just in general, people are liking it less. Now, some of that is the, the politics that are happening uh, that you know, the conservative subset doesn't like as much. But also, it's the, the violence of the game. I think less and less parents are sending their kids. I have no intention of encouraging my boys. My girl wouldn't be able well, some girls can play football. But uh, if I'm not going to let the boys, I'm certainly not going to let the, the girl play football. I don't want them to play football mm. now. Because of the violence um, specifically. Because of the violence, you know, the, the head trauma, um, mm. the the... the But just the body wear, you know, even not the head trauma is the big thing for me. Uh, it's hits to the head. It it's dangerous long term. But even the rest, uh, 
um, I would really not like my kids to play football. And I think that is becoming more and more common. So I have a suspicion that within the next 20 years, maybe longer, probably longer, that football will really kind of fade away and it will no longer be the number one sport in America. That's really interesting. You know, I, I, I remember when conversations about the violence in video games were happening, you know, they come back every few years, less so nowadays, thankfully. But I remember some people saying, um, I, can, I can't attribute the quote, I apologize, but there was one idea that really resonated with me. It was that idea that imagine if the world was all um, video games. And everyone would just play video games and there was no sports. And then someone came up and was like, you know what? We're going to take the kids and we're going to put them on the field in gear and tell them to run headfirst into one another as fast and strong as they can. Or, you know, put them in a ring and hit each other until they can't get up. It would be a crazy idea, right? And and so that really solidified to me the... Um, the, the how violent American football is. And I, I'm sure you would expect that, Tony, but I would never have thought that um, that kind of concern would come from uh, a place like Ohio and, and people like you and your community. Yeah, I, I'm maybe not a the prototypical representation of a Southeast Ohioan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I share a lot of the, the uh, values, but uh, there are definitely still people that are all about football and football is, is a big deal. Uh, Ohio and Texas and California and Florida are the, the football states. Uh, I won't say the state North of us, which you guys probably don't even get that reference. Um, no, not really. <laughs> Ohio and, and Michigan, huge rivals on the football okay. field. So, um, but, um, but I am seeing it and I'm talking to other parents as I go through baseball and basketball and things like that. And I, I'm talking about football and I mentioned the fact that I, I really have no desire for my kids to play football. And they say the same thing. Now, mm. when they get to the age where football becomes a thing, will they change their mind? There's a good chance, but I am seeing that trend just anecdotally, and I think it's probably a good thing. I think football is not a good sport, really. I I, I enjoy it, but and, and if it's done right, it can be fine. If the equipment is uh, excellent, it can be okay. But if it's done wrong, and in youth youth football has a pretty bad reputation for doing it wrong. The coaches don't teach the right mechanics. They they just let the kid put their head down and run into the other kid. That's how injuries happen. So uh, that's what I'm hoping to avoid. Tony, well, don't you think that it will be likely that uh, the rules will be changed to protect the players more? And instead of uh, football losing its appeal, it, it will simply be a, a different sport in a few years. The one that has more, maybe maybe not as exciting, maybe a bit uh, less contact. I don't know, maybe more like rugby. I, I'm not sure, but it will continue to have a, a mass appeal. It will it will just be a different sport. And and that's that's interesting that you say that because that's what's happening now with the NFL. They're changing rules to protect players. But what really is interesting about this is you've still you've got this subset of fans who hate that. Of course. Uh, and and I, I do agree that the rules that they're they've put in place 
they're not football. So, so mm. you're right. The sport so what is ki- changing. What kind of rules are, are we talking about here? So, so there's always been a rule called roughing the passer. A quarterback is the one who passes the ball. And there had basically, if the quarterback has already thrown in the past, if the quarterback has already thrown the ball, you can't hit him. Right, you can't just hit the guy when he's standing there. Well, now <laughs> roughing the passer has gotten. It's not even about after he throws the ball. You can't hit him low, which I get. They're protecting his knees. Um, you can't. The joke is you can't touch him. You can't breathe near him because mm. if he decides he's going to fall down, you're going to get a penalty. And in some respects, that's kind of the way it is. I mean, if they touch the quarterback nearly at all, they're calling roughing the passer and. Uh, so they are changing the rules. They've changed rules where they've got a vulnerable receiver. You know, the receiver goes up to catch a ball and he's, he's vulnerable. He's in a position where he can't protect himself from a hit. And if the defensive player just smashes him, they're going to get a penalty call. I agree with that, but it has, but it's not football anymore. (laughs) Right. So it's a very astute observation, Luis, that you would say that because Mm -hmm. it, it is changing the game. Um, what's interesting is other sports have gained in popularity. Real football has increased in popularity in the United States and lacrosse has actually increased. And I think if rugby made its way over here in any meaningful way, it could probably, uh, increase in popularity as well. Mm. But uh, your perception that you were, you were telling that uh, you wouldn't want your kids playing football. Uh, would you like them to play football if it was safer, even that, even if you didn't like the game so much? So it, it's actually, my mindset is kind of the opposite. I really do like the game, <laughs> um, <laughs> but because it's not safe, I don't really want them to play. I would struggle even if it was safer because it is, even with all the protective gear, it's the most violent of the game. So there's the most likelihood of injury, you know, a blown ACL. Even with all the gear in the world, you hit the knee right, it's going to blow out. Mm. So I, I don't – but having said that, you can do the same thing in baseball and basketball. But those are the sports that we're focusing on in my house, um, baseball and basketball. They're, they're less violent. Anything can happen in any sport, but those are the right, ones right. Uh, that yeah, we're that's focusing the thing. on. A- any sport uh, can have injuries and accidents. Uh, obviously, things like – Rugby, to an extent, and American football, uh, that's a lot more <laughs> likely. But I, I think, you know, there could be a way for American football to change and be less violent. And there will always be some people who will say, you know what, this isn't the one I like. It's, but it would still be a, a sport, a slightly different sport. Maybe it would even splinter. Um, but it would take a long time before the NFL is less popular than another league where they have the like traditional old school football. Um, but anything could happen. It doesn't mean that the, the changed American football can't exist somehow. Um, but the, the, obviously you're going to have some people who are going to go like hashtag, not my football, right? They're going to be like, sure. oh, this isn't, but um, yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks. I, I, I didn't, think that was where you were going to take us. So thank you, Tony. Um, all right, Luis, what's been happening in Portugal? Um, in Portugal, well, not much. There were two things that are the major 
news this month. Um, one was a, a strike from truck drivers. You, I think you have a lot of that in, in France, a lot of strikes. We're not as used to it here. Uh, and, does someone uh, have a phone near their microphone? I'm hearing um, a lot of uh, cell network tra uh, static. There you go. That's better. Sorry. Okay. Yes, this was we, probably we, mine. Okay, that's weird. We do have a lot of strikes and uh, truck driver strikes in, in France. Yes. yes. That we is indeed. That after, you know, food, wine, raising children, it is our fourth specialty uh, tr strikes and truck driver strikes. Okay, so we have the right idea then. <laughs> <laughs> and usually when there's a strike that affects a lot of people like uh, public transportation, public transportation, doctors, nurses, usually there isn't a very, uh, well, the, the public doesn't like that because it's affects all of us. So it's, it's, there are strikes that are easy to garner public support. Uh, this one was uh, especially about um, truck drivers that transport uh, dangerous substances. In this case, we were talking about fuel. And that was really confusing because uh, People were running to the gas station, to the supermarket. They didn't have an expectation of when it would end. So it was so a couple of the, weeks. So you mean the pumps were empty? Yes, uh, mm -hmm. most of them, yes. But there was a, it's, it was the second time they did this in the last few months. And this time something happened that was uh, strange because I don't think there was a lot of, uh, there were precautions taken and there was always uh, pumps that had fuel, although there was rationing. But um, people, the um, people were anxious. Me also. We all we all went before the strike to fill up the cars. We all did like uh, <laughs> huge traffic lines, and uh, it was a mess. And it turns out uh, the strike didn't last long, and there was no big problems. But uh, the idea of a strike, even if the even if there is no real consequences at the strike, it's it's enough to 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 prop to provoke some ham, mayhem because it was there was a few days that uh, we just spent a lot of time to fill up the tanks yeah i can absolutely see that happening so it was i think the only kind of strike that everybody's against <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it didn't last very long i suppose I yeah maybe but there is another there is another one scheduled for next month so yeah oh, we'll see all right well other than have fun uh, queuing <laughs> yeah. at the pump again. Yeah, it's it's more fun when you see this like image from France and you say, yeah, yeah, France, it's complicated. But um, <laughs> now we have it here. And um, out of that, it was the Amazon. It's like the biggest news in the yeah. in the last few weeks. It's not very a deep discussion, but uh, as you can imagine, the images of the Amazon burning. They are very mediatic, and people do care, do do have some concerns, although. I don't think they, they can do much. Um, even the G7, uh, the reporting that we got focused a lot on Amazon. Uh, so it's a, it's a very complicated issue. I, I don't think it's a, it's a bit like global warming because it's in Brazil and Brazil, I think it has the right to do whatever it wants. But um, yeah, at the point, at the, that's, there's the, the point that uh, an individual country it starts to having responsibilities about other countries, about the impact it has, and uh, maybe it's just not a Brazilian decision to make. And there was also a big discussion about the role that Bolsonaro could have had in all this. I'm not sure if it did really have an impact, but the message that we got was that Bolsonaro weakened the 
the um, how do you call the laws that protect the environment and that's why we're having these fires but uh, i'm old enough to remember that this happened before and we've been discussing the the shrinking of the amazons for at least i don't know 20 years and yeah the situation gets worse and, and maybe there are some presents that, that have more of an influence than others but I, I think that the problems are systemic and I really, yeah. I think the in, the, in usually it's, it's shown more, of, um, it's, it's more, it's a lot of the show and outrage about, about, about what's happening and how someone should do something, but uh, then it goes away and people forget about it for a few years. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I didn't mention it too much, but uh it, it certainly was one of the topics of conversations uh, here in France as well. Exactly as you said, essentially it's all the same. And the conundrum about the role of uh, Bolsonaro and the, uh, the, the rights of Brazil to do what it wants. And at the same time, the fact that the influence of the Amazon is global. So how do we deal with that? Um, Mercosur is a, the, 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 there was a trade agreement with uh, South America that Macron threatened not to sign. Um, and they, that kind of had an influence into uh, kind of forcing Bolsonaro's hand into maybe accepting aid from the EU, an aid that was very small it's like 20 million euros um but he's kind of saying now oh if they apologize for this i will accept because his base apparently is like everyone in brazil is starting to think wait this is actually a problem um so yeah it's still uncertain what's going to happen but it was very much a conversation here i wonder tony certainly the amazon burning was a topic in the u.s as well right yes i, I did see some stuff on that. Okay. And is that um, because it touches on things like global warming and the influence that, and like the national sovereignty of a country over its, uh, you know, inside its borders. I wonder if the, 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 the reports or the opinions that you're seeing are more like, well, even if it is a problem, we're not sure, but it's Bolsonaro's place. He does what he wants. Or is it like, wait, actually, you know, this might be a big problem for everyone. So we should engage conversations and, and try to get him to change things or, or yeah, how does it go? Well, the, one of the articles, and, and I have to admit, I didn't actually read it. I just read the headline because I'm that guy sometimes. <laughs> We're all um, that guy sometimes, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> it. It actually said it was an article, and I don't remember where it was from, so I can't say which which side it was from, but it was why the Amazon fires aren't as bad as they're being made out to be. So if I – I don't I don't know, but um, my opinion, yeah, they, they're their own country. They, they should be able to take care of their own stuff. It does affect everybody. Um, I would be more inclined to provide assistance if if asked um, rather than try to throw our weight around with other countries. I'm, I'm mm. uh, more of a I'm not an isolationist, but I, I I'm more of a keep to ourselves kind of guy. Right. Yeah. But there um, are other. I'm sorry. sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Luis. I'm thinking this is not really different from, for example, the Iran, Iran situation. 
it's about nuclear weapons, but uh, it's the same thing. You don't have a, you don't want a certain country to achieve a state that can harm other countries. In this case, mm. uh, Iran. But uh, there are uh, policies and there are treaties, and people do try to when um, when a problem is too big for one country, it, it affects everyone. There, which we do try to solve it. So I don't think why I don't think why we see the environment as something different because uh, the United States, for example, and even Europe uh, goes to wars about uh, because of oil, water, frontiers, whatever. So is this really that different? This is a, this has a global impact. Yes, a country should be should do whatever they want. They are sovereign, but there is a limit. It's like uh, when our freedom starts to interfere with other people's freedom. It's I'm not, I'm no, not really yeah, sure that if uh, if one has the authority to say this is my country, I can do whatever I want, because even even now with the global warming, there are there are countries that are suffering from the effects and will suffer, and they didn't contribute a lot. So is it fair? So we have the advantages uh, and we also have the the costs, but other people will suffer more without having any advantages, without having benefited, and that seems that seems. Unfair and a bit dumb, I think. Not dumb, it's not dumb, but it seems that we can't really expect that, uh, yes, there are countries, but there is one Earth and there is a human race and, yeah, we are, we are all very different, but it seems like sometimes we do have to make policy together. The, the one, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, but the one thing that seems to me like it will resonate um, a little bit more with uh, uh, Tony and maybe people like him is that parallel with, you know, if Iran is getting the bomb, then we force ourselves into that conversation and we um, try to shift things there. If you agree that the Amazon burning is a danger for the rest of the world, shouldn't it be considered the same way? Right, that that seems like it would make sense for um, for everyone, in including people who are more on the right of the political spectrum. Um, right? Sure. So, so here's my take on it, um, which I don't. I, I probably shouldn't even talk about it because I don't have all all the details of the effect of the fires, but with nuclear weapons with a with a country that is hostile to my nation if they are obtaining nuclear weapons that is a clear threat right um with the fires there's a i i get that there's a threat there's certainly a threat but how quantifiable is that how clear is it is there a certain amount of fire that can take place you know so another country coming in and saying you have to do this without a clear definable threat. Mm. I, I get the I get the overall threat. I get the idea that the depletion of the rainforest is bad for the, the world, but there has to be a you know you have to have a quantifiable definable threat. Like, okay, if it burns this much, then that that is where the line is, right? But they I'm guessing they can't say that. So well, in that sense, hmm. someone could come into any country and say, well, you're doing something wrong because I say so. So you need to change it. 
And that's what I don't agree with. There's a line. And I'm kind of nitpicking a little bit, but I do think there's a line of when you can come in and throw your weight around with another country. And I believe that there should be a definable threat, a quantifiable definable threat. Well, that's that's no, you're exactly right. That is the entire issue. It's whether or not you consider um, global warming and the contribution of the um, the the burning of the Amazon to global warming to be um, problematic and how problematic it is. If you believe that it is indeed a world altering. Uh, uh, problem that is and that the amazon forest burning is contributing significantly to that issue then i think we are in the camp that you're describing tony which is that is an actual threat to my nation and probably many other nations in the world right if you believe well i don't know is it then you're like okay maybe it's fair to let them do what they want to do it's that i think it shifts kind of the um, decision to how much you um, trust that the Amazon burning is a global uh, danger, right? I think that. And, and my issue is I don't know enough of the details to make that kind of judgment call myself. Right, and okay. that we but can we can go into that conversation, and I think it would become essentially a conversation about global warming, which we wouldn't solve here. Um, I mean, Louis, maybe you want to go into it, but... Well, uh, no, not global warming. I think I would go back to Iran because uh, Tony said they are a threat to his country, to his nation, and or into other nations. And yes, there is that, uh, there is that view. And it, there is a potential danger, but there it's not, it's not defined also. You believe there is a danger, but maybe some, something will happen. Maybe it won't. And I think Iran, from their point of view, they see the, that the U.S. are hostile to them, and their way to protect themselves is to have a nuclear weapon. Uh, and I think that's the way every country sees it. They, it's, a, it's a way of, we, can keep, we will not be attacked by another nation if we have nuclear weapons. And so, yes, other countries don't want that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I can understand why the U.S. doesn't want that and why Europe doesn't want it. In fact, I think most people prefer that yeah, nobody should have nuclear weapons, but um, it's the same thing. You, it's a perception. You, we think this will be dangerous. Maybe it will never happen, but there is the potential for for it. And when it comes to environmental stuff, I don't think it's very different. There is the potential for something really bad. Do we want to risk it or do we not? Mm. Yeah, what essentially what you're saying is what Tony is saying about global warming can apply to Iran and the threat is also what you believe. The th but again, it comes down to something that is very difficult to accept, even for me as someone who strongly believes, you know, global warming is an issue. It comes down to whether or not you agree, you know, global warming and all of these very divisive issues, except, you know, uh, global warming or nuclear weapons are world ending. And so it becomes even more urgent. But it comes down to what you believe. If you believe something is that way, then you will act in, in you know, with the consequences of that. So. I don't know. 
Yeah, go ahead, Tony. I'll I'll let you two finish that uh, topic and then we'll close it off. Well, I, I've been debating internally on uh, to go into this. I believe Iran is a much clearer threat to the United States, uh, a more current threat. Well, to, well that's all, because let's, let's put about... all cards on the table. That's because you don't really think global warming is that big a, a, a problem and and you believe it could be reversed or you're not a big global warming is a clear and present danger guy right uh i am a global warming how do we deal with it guy give me a give me an actionable uh, a reasonable actionable solution uh is is well, my I think part of the global warming you know Th well, there, there are a million things to do. There are a million things that we need to do or, and not to do. But certainly, protecting the Amazon is one of those actionable things. If you believe we need to do stuff, then obviously it's not going to fix it. But there is no one fixing it. There is many different things, and protecting the Amazon, according to everyone who knows what they're talking about, it is one of the things we should be doing. No. Okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, again, I'm I'm a little ignorant on the Amazon stuff. Mm -hmm. I, okay. I, I admit that I I don't know what. So you're saying the you know the consensus is it needs to be protected. So okay, let let's do that. I I was I was coming into that topic with a little bit of ignorance, and I apologize for that. Mm -hmm. um, now I, I was going to say this one thing: the the Iran thing is not just. Uh, the effect on the United States, it's the, also the effect on the allies of the United States. Um, so, you know, we have geopolitical allies and we have people that are hostile to us. Iran is hostile to the United States and um, very hostile to our allies. So that I believe that creates a position that we have to respond to. But there was an well, agreement between the other European countries. And, and the U.S. The U.S. decided to bro to okay. To let's not the deal. Okay. Yeah, let, let's okay. not. We're not going to go into the Iran crisis now. <laughs> but we we could. But yeah, go ahead. So just one thing. So uh, what I can tell from you, Tony, is that you can see the Iran. This is just an example as a threat, but uh, you don't think uh, global warming or another situation. You can you can perceive it as a threat. You don't you don't know. You think maybe but you're not too sure or you don't think it will be very serious? Is that it? Global warming, I think, I think that we, as the United States, are doing things to combat global warming, but other countries are not. And I'm not talking about European countries. I think the a lot of the problem with emissions is coming out of China and India, not the United States. We've actually reduced our emissions more than any other country even after we left the Paris Accords. So, you know, I think we're doing our part, but it's not going to make a dent. So until we get the whole world on board and we can find a way of tackling it without crippling our economies, I'm all for it. I believe that it's a danger. I believe it's a threat, but we can't do it by ourselves. Uh, Europe and America and the Americas can't do it by ourselves. We need to get the other countries that are causing the vast majority of emissions on board as well. Yes, I can agree to that in part. <laughs> <laughs> a miracle! Wow, there we it's go. It's a miracle! <laughs>
No, I just, you know, country, other countries that are emitting, uh, that are doing uh, bigger emissions now, they didn't benefit from that from 50 or 60 years like the, the European Union or the US. So I think there are some certain countries that, that already had big advantages and now, well, they're going to take the first step and hope that other people will follow. I think this is, I mean, that's definitely the case. Um, I think it's, again, a whole other conversation. Um, the, the, I will say, however, since you brought the Iran thing into the conversation, Louis, I agree that Iran and nuclear power in general is a very serious threat as well. So I will uh, meet Tony on that side of the aisle. Now, how it's being dealt with, that's a whole different topic. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think we, we... I mean, it can be true that both global warming and nuclear uh, anni annihilation are problematic. Um, so anyway. All right. I think I'm going to bring this discussion to a close. Uh, we kind of found some common ground. Uh, so I'm going to stop before we actually uh, start te tearing each other up. But uh, thank you both for being on the show. That was super interesting. Uh, before we leave, do you have anywhere you want to tell people to go to find you? And I mean on the internet, not necessarily in Ohio specifically, Tony. Do you do anything on the internet? There's your Twitter account, of course. Yeah, I am on Twitter. I'm at Tony Staley on Twitter. I I tweet uh, coaching. Basketball coaching things have been a lot of what I've been doing lately, which I'm not even in basketball season. But I, I do some sports stuff. I do a little bit of uh, politics stuff. I do some fintech stuff because that's actually my day job. Uh, so, uh, But sometimes I kind of lurk. I go through ebbs and flows. But that's where you can find me. Excellent. The link will be in the show notes. What about you, Luis? Um, I also have a Twitter account. It's the other Luis, but I'm not very active on Twitter, so you might miss me. <laughs> okay, well, it will be in the show notes as well. Uh, and if you catch him when he's there, then say hi. Uh, I'm not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I am also uh, on Frenchspin.com where I put my shows. There's the Phileas Club and there's Pixels where we talk about video games. Um, of course, if you enjoy the show, you can su support it on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. Uh, many of you already do that and I appreciate immensely. Thank you so much. I hope you continue to get something out of this show. A uh, little bit of reason in a notion of anger and divisiveness and uh, the, the the proof that the reality is sometimes we can just talk just let's talk let's converse and uh, we'll see that maybe we're not actually um, all holding hands and having fun and being super friendly to each other which in this case, in this show, we are. But at least we can understand each other. And that's important. That's the most important thing, I think. So thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Again, patreon.com slash The Phineas Club. You have the link in the show notes. And we will see you in a few weeks. The next episode should be really interesting. We'll see if I can make it happen. I don't want to spoil anything. But I think it will be really interesting. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. 
maybe I should be recording this. Um, my problem with the way the world has evolved in the past few years, because of the internet, because of what you were saying, Tony, is that the fact that we disagree on some things lead us to believe that we disagree on the, fundament on the fundamentals of everything. And what I like to do is, that, is to show people that we can agree on some of the fundamentals, because even though it doesn't actually solve the problems, and there, of which there are many, of which there should be solved, at least it opens the door for, at some point down the line, having a discussion about those problems. And since people don't think that they can, you know, agree on the fundamentals of anything, they don't engage further. So that's why I sometimes, you know, it might seem like I'm focusing on that instead of like, but wait, this is like global warming is, a real, is the real problem that we should be discussing. Does that make sense? Sure. One thing that I think is interesting in my uh, experience doing this show, and I think not this show is probably part of it, but people can evolve. People change. You know, I, I have evolved somewhat on global warming. I, when we first started doing this, I was a I, I wasn't necessarily I was a show me how much humans have contributed guy. Mm. And what has changed isn't necessarily my my knowledge of how much humans have contributed. It's that it it's does it matter? Mm. Uh, I mean, not not does global warming matter, but say humans. I, I don't know if humans are responsible for 100% or 10%, but does it matter? It's obviously a problem that needs to be addressed, whether humans contributed to it or not, you know? Right. Um, and, and I get the idea that some people might say, well, if humans didn't contribute to it, then we can't fix it. But if, if lowering emissions can help, even if we were only responsible for 5%, then sure, let's do that. So that's kind of how mm. my take on it has changed. It doesn't really matter what, what caused it if it needs fixed, right? right? So I may not be towing the line as far as uh, the the global warming people would like, but I think I'm on the same general page that it does need to be fixed, whether whoever's responsible or whatever's responsible for it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm I'm, and that's kind of what I'm uh, uh, hoping will happen in in. Because as much as people on the left like to think it's all, you know, the, the responsibility falls on the people on the right, and I think obviously it's the same on the right, I have also come to understand a lot by talking to people, you know, like you and like others on this show who explain to me what they think. And I mean, that's the premise of the show. I'm rehashing stuff now. But um, it, it actually works both ways. Um, and I think it it's beneficial to everyone. So, yeah, anyway, uh, may I interrupt? Oh <laughs> no! Please, please, always do. Uh, you don't have to ask; otherwise, you'll <laughs> never speak. <laughs> I just want to say that, uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure when I heard uh, Tony in the show for the first time, but it was one of those. I'm sorry, Tony. I'm going to talk to you directly. I disagreed about everything you said, and <laughs> and I was. I still do. I think if we talked about another other stuff, we we have very different uh, views of the world. But I didn't really like you at all on that first time. But I've spoken to you a couple of times now, and uh, it's small interactions. But yeah, 
now I may not agree with you, but I would be a lot more inclined to discuss things with you and to accept your opinion that I was before. So hopefully I'm making some progress too. Well, oh my I God, this is... that. I, you, you'd be surprised how when I hear that people don't like me. So you know, <laughs> I, I get it all the time. <laughs> yes, but I don't know you. That was just an impression because you, you believe on really different things than I, did, than I do. And it was not fair. And uh, you, you have to understand, it's like um, I wasn't even making a judgment about you. I was making a judgment about a stereotype, I think. Mm. And now I see you more, more as a person. I don't think this, this like that. Part. Yeah, <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm literally getting chills. You know what, what you're saying? And I, I, I might keep this in at the end of the show. And it's like I've expressed on the show before the idea that I don't know if what I'm trying to do with this show is, you know, is useful or working because I, I get a lot of negativity out of the world and I don't see it making any, obviously, you know, it's not going to change the world, but it's doing a little thing. And what you're saying, Luis, is exactly what I'm, I'm, I think is important to do and, and trying to do. So you saying that at moments when I'm thinking, is it really like does it work is it is it worth it should i bother it's like literally giving me chills you're validating everything i'm doing now so thank you Ste baby steps and it can be it turns out actually we are all holding hands and we're friends i i didn't realize but it's working so <laughs> no but sometimes i i think it's all happens to all of us but i can be fundamentalist without realizing it i think I'm being the reasonable one and not the other person. And uh, I think this show and things like this helped me to, oh, maybe I wasn't so reasonable as I thought. I, that's my position. I think, I, I think we all think, think of ourselves as a, reasonable, as a reasonable person, but sometimes we are not. And I think it's helping me. <laughs> well, well, I think something important to remember is uh, when we're talking on this show, Especially when we're talking on the more political stuff, you know, I kept it light today with football, sort of light. Um, but that takes up a hundred percent of my Phileas Club time, but it takes up about one percent of my life. You know, yeah, uh, my life is all about my kids and my wife and work and to provide for them. So uh, this political disagreement stuff. We could probably hang out and never talk about that stuff and have a wonderful time. In fact, I'm yeah. sure of it because it's just such a small part of what I actually spend my time on. Right. Yeah. We as well as Luis was saying, we're actually people, all of us, right. <laughs> and not just political opinions. <laughs>